are in a series that I, I was excited about doing, but then I started studying out, especially today's message, and I was like, this is, this is so awesome. So I can't wait to share with you where we're going today. Um, uh, it is, it's it's going to be fun. So just get in, get ready, buckle up. Here we go. We started the series last week called Glory, the Face of Jesus, and the whole, the whole premise of it is that in the midst of everything that's going on, just just Christmas season by itself is already one of those seasons that's already like chaotic and a little bit overwhelming. You know, you got to get everything right and at the right time, and it's just. But then you add onto that a pandemic, and it's just a whole whole other level of just just trying to get through it. And and no matter where we're at in our in, in our life, I, I want us to just spend this season focusing on Jesus. Here's the the picture I showed you guys, the sketch. Uh, that I showed um, last week, and I, it's it's a it's a funny picture because if you were here last week or if you were watching uh, last week, you can see there's the um, the old lady that, that's a big nose, her eye, her mouth right there. Can you see the big lady, the the old lady? Okay, then do you see the young lady? She's looking away from us. There's the nose of the young lady. The eye is uh, right there of of the uh, I'm sorry, the eye of the old lady is now the ear of the young lady, and the mouth is the necklace, or the choker, I guess I was corrected last week. That's not a necklace, that's a choker. I, I got <laughs> so, uh, But here's what I want you to do. I want you to try something. Uh, once you see both of them, I want you to see both of them at the same time. Go ahead. Go ahead. You see it? See both of them at the same time? You can't. Your mind won't let you work that way. Your mind will not let you see both at the same time. Now, some of you might think you are, but you're actually switching from seeing one, and then you see the other. See, this is one of those fun uh, things neuroscience has taught us that we, some of you ladies are going to hate this because I'm going to take something you think you have. You think you have a superpower, you don't. You do not have the superpower of multitasking. Neuroscientists tell us that it is impossible for you to do one thing one task that takes up one area of your mind, and then you do something else that takes up that same area of your mind. Um, but what you see, what, what you do to have the ability, though, is you do it just faster than we as men do it. Uh, we, we, once you separate, one, when you stop one task and you go to another task, men are much slower at doing it than, than women. Um, I, I, I've tried to teach my wife this. I'm like, babe, if you want me to go from doing this to doing that, I need about five minutes of transition time, okay? I can't just, you just can't come in and say, all right, it's time to, nope, we got we to gotta transition to that point. Uh, but, so the whole focus, though, is that it's the same with, with our relationship with God, is we either can focus on worry or we can focus on trust. We can either be consumed by fear or we can say, God, you've got it all control, and what I want us to do is, and, and here, here's the, 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 the truth is that we go back and forth so quickly. In one conversation, I can be going, you know what, man, this is going on, and the pandemic's doing this, and we've got to go through this, and we've got to make sure this is happening. And then, oh, but God's in control. God's got this. I'm not too worried, but this is happening. <laughs> it's just this back and forth. And, and I want us to train ourselves to learn how to focus on the glory of God revealed to us in Jesus. I got a, a, new, uh, a new picture here for you. This is a, you guys see that? Uh, see that? It's kind of, you're a little distance here, but there's some, there's a seal, polar bear, 
a book. Here's a book over here, a deer. It's kind of just a, a, a montage of pictures. Uh, and you, you can come, and here's, here's when you come out a little bit further. You can sign it. There's more pictures, and, you know, those, there's a rabbit and, you know, different goldfish up in the top right. And then you get to this, where you zoom all the way out. You guys see it? You see the face of Jesus. See, that's what I want us to do in this season is step back, pause, and see Jesus in this season. Let's focus on, on him. So let's go to one of those, um, those great Christmas verses that we all go to uh, that you'll hear lots during this season. It's Matthew chapter 1. And it's a great one. I love any, any, most of the verses that you look at talking about Jesus are actually quoting the Old Testament. And here's one of them. It says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. And it says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will, con- will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That was an awesome song, wasn't it? The, the Chris Tomlin's new song, uh, those of you who are watching online, great worship song. We'll post it later this week. It is a powerful Christmas song. Speaking of Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. This is such a, a powerful thing about Jesus and that so many times we just kind of like fluff over that Jesus is literally God with us. What, what does that mean, God is with us? Who's, who's with us? God. God is with us in Jesus Christ. And so what, what, what's he like? As a, as a child, as a baby, what's, what's, what's he going to be like? What's his character like? And, and here is the um, just um, unbelievable thing about God and the way that the Bible works is that God already gave us his characteristics way back in Exodus. There, there's a... In Exodus, so that you know the story, and before we go to the scripture, I want to give you a little context, because whenever you study the Bible, you need to study it in what? Context. So you study in context. So we have, um, the, the, uh, in Exodus, we have the story of the Israelites who were in Egypt, and Moses is sent by God to take them out of Egypt, and he removes them after 10 plagues, he takes, gets them out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea, and he begins to move them towards the promised land, and he takes them to Mount Sinai, where God says, I want to make a covenant relationship with you. So he invites them into a covenant relationship with him. And he says, I want you to be a nation of priests, set apart from all the nations so that you can demonstrate to the world my glory to all the other nations. So one nation is chosen to demonstrate God's glory to all the nations. And he's making this covenant with them. And as he's making this covenant with them, you know what they do? They build a golden calf and worship it. And you can imagine how frustrated God must have been in this moment. I'm just, I'm done. I'm frustrated. You guys are just, uh, why would I keep going on in a relationship with people that don't want to be in relationship with me? How frustrated must God have been? And here is where this verse comes into play. As he's having this, Moses comes before God, and God says, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to pass before you. Now, you can't see my face because that'll kill you. 
But as I pass by, you'll be able to see who I am. And this verse is where it comes into play. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. There it is. He shows his five characteristics that become a central confession of, uh, of, for the Bible. Over and over again, these, these same phrases come up over 20 times. These phrases are used to characterize God in this and uh, combined together. So there's the God of compassion, mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Five things that we're going to spend the next uh, the rest of this series going through these characteristics of God. And the first one is what? Compassion. He's a God of compassion. Now this is where we get to have some fun this morning. Because the word compassion is this word rakamim in the Hebrew. So it looks like that in Hebrew, and it, it's, rakamim is how uh, we're going to pronounce it this morning. <laughs> so this, is, this word, though, is, is, is compassion is, an, um, an, is a noun, I'm a, is a descriptive. Uh, he, the person is, uh, uh, God is compassion. But then there's the verb form of this, and it's used, the, word, the Hebrew word is very close to it, just like the English word is, is rakum, which is compassionate. So God is compassion, and if something is, is compassion, then it shows compassion. Shows compassion. So it's, yeah, flip that around. I said that wrong. Flip those, you, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> this is an English class. This is, we're talking about the Bible. All right. <laughs> so, so we have here a God who is compassionate, who shows compassion. This is, this is so powerful, and here is where we have that when we understand the Hebrew language, and so this is one of those contextual things that we miss out uh, so, mit, so much when we don't slow down to read the Bible, uh, is that the, this Hebrew word, and here's where we get to work in community, because this is, I know many of you didn't take any Hebrew. Um, I, I did. I, I took some, I still don't, like, I still have to have these really fancy books that tell me that's actually what it means. Uh, so, I, but as I study this out, this turns out that this word, rakum or rakamim, is both have the root word in the Hebrew of rakim. This is where we get to have some fun because this is the root word. So, so the compassion has it comes out, and then from it you have this word that literally means womb, womb. This is, okay, so the word, this word, God, God using this word as in, to describe himself invites us to see him as the one who has a mother's tender feelings towards her child. The, the, so, and I can get it. I, I can get the picture, right? Because I, I remember having children. I, I am not, um, having a newborn is just, it's such a unique thing. Like you have this thing that is totally dependent upon you and you have to hold it just right. Like I don't hold, I don't hold babies. Like when people say, do you want to hold my newborn? No, no, I don't. It's not that I don't like your child, I promise. 
I'm just worried what I will do to this thing. I'll give you, I'm not, this is not, I'm not exaggerating this story at all. I was, uh, I think it was our third, I think it was Kylan was a baby. And I remember vividly sitting in the recliner and I'm holding Kylan right here. I'm, I'm rocking him. And it's just it's my, me and my baby, you know, we're hold, I'm holding him. He's just, uh, just a couple days old and I'm rocking him and the phone rings. And my wife from the kitchen's making dinner says, hey, can you answer that? And I say, no, can't answer that. Say, like, Josh, the phone is right beside you. It was on the arm of the chair. I'm rocking. I can, she's like, Josh, the phone's right there. I'm like, yeah, I can't. I, I, it takes me five minutes to transition from this to that. So there's a lot can happen in this moment. Okay, I can't multitask because this is a child that I'm in, I'm in charge of, right? And this is, this is the picture that God gives to us that he is a God of compassion, that he's holding us, that he's caring for us, that he's showing us who he is and how he, he loves us. It, this, the compassion has also with it connected emotion. It has emotion connected to it. And so when we see this, it's even sometimes in the, in the Bible, it'll translate this word, rakum, to the word, to the words, deeply moved. So because they saw pain and suffering, they responded emotionally and did something about it. There's a, there's a really cool story in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 43, that shows this exact thing. So Joseph is a, is, was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers sold him into slavery. And through a journey, this crazy journey that was not short, it was long, it was overwhelming, he went from going, uh, being a brother who sold into slavery, so he's a slave, he then gets thrown into prison, and in prison he's able to, to tell these people what their dreams are about, so eventually he tells a story about Pharaoh's dream that gets him out of the prison, and he ends up being second in charge of all of Egypt. And as he's in the position of second in charge of Egypt, who now is in control of all the food and who gets the food during a famine, his brothers show up. His brothers show up and he has this encounter with them and he asks for them to bring his little brother to, so that he can see his little brother. When his little brother shows up, he sees him and this is what it says, that Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion, rakamim, for his brother, he went into his private room where he broke down and wept. Emotion, that compassion that he had for his brother, shows up in this moment. And what is his response? After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. See, he has this moment of compassion that results in him being compassionate. He acts out his compassion. This is, the word is used to describe men and women in the Bible, but overall, if you look through how many times this word is used, it's used to describe God over and over again. It's used to describe him when the children of Israel are in slavery in Egypt, and it says they cried out to God in anguish. God had compassion on them and responded with sending Moses. When they're in the wilderness, and they're, they're at a point where they have no food. They cry out, and God has compassion. 
There's another time where the, the water that is, has run out and God has compassion on them and provides a rock that gives them water. He has compassion on them and makes their clothes last for 40 years in the wilderness. God has compassion on them over and over all throughout Scripture. And despite his compassion that he gives to the children of Israel, they turn their back on him and reject him, given their allegiance and worship to other gods. But that doesn't change God's compassion for, for them. As a, when you go through the Bible, you'll get to the, the segment where it's the prophets. And the prophets are declaring to Israel, guys, you've experienced the compassion of God, therefore you should be compassionate to others. But instead of treating others with compassion, they have gotten to the point where they're fighting in a civil war. And the, literally, the kingdom of Israel is divided in two. The northern kingdom becomes Israel. The southern kingdom becomes Judah. And eventually, both nations end up in exile where they're scattered among the nations. God, in that midst, in the darkest hour, says to them through this prophet Isaiah, I'm still going to treat you with compassion. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13, he says, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her children. And chapter 49 of the same of Isaiah, it says, Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us, but the Lord and the Lord has forgotten us. But God responds this way. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. God is full of compassion and he will rescue his people. As you read through the book of Isaiah, it actually says how he's going to have compassion and rescue his people, and it's through the womb of Mary. This points to us that there's going to be God with us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel will be with us. Jesus is God's deep compassion become human. In, in the Greek, so the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is largely written in Greek. In Greek, the, the word uh, compassion is the word oikthermos. Uh, I'm probably butchering that. It's spelled O-I-K-T-I-R-M-O-S. And it's, so when Jesus comes onto the scene and he operates in this way, you find him being used in compassion. He, he says, it says it this way in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw them as people who needed to have someone, that, that compassion is stepping into, this, into the gap where people, where they can't help themselves. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14 says, Jesus saw a huge crowd, and as he, stepped from the, as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, so what does he do? He responds from it and uh, has compassion on them and healed their sick. Here's, uh, in Mark, Mark begins, the, he, he doesn't start off with the nativity. He starts right into John the Baptist and then begins to describe Jesus' healings. And look how he describes Jesus' healings. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. 
moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. This, is, this happens over and over again. Jesus tells parables of, of how he steps into the position uh, or how, to, how compassion is revealed through him. It, Luke 15, the, the parable of the prodigal son, describes the father when his son returns this way. So the son returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. This is, <laughs> there's so much here, and I wish I could have more time, but there is no reason this man should have run towards his son. His son didn't deserve to be welcomed back. His son didn't deserve this, and for this man to run would be a dishonoring thing for him to do, but yet he said, I was filled with love and compassion, and what was important to him was no longer important. He embraced him and kissed him. Jesus embraced the sick, cares for the outcast. He is deeply moved by human suffering. He, he, he sees him, uh, he, Jesus compares himself in, in the scripture as a mother hen who protects her chicks and brings them together so that he can protect them. Then in the ultimate of all examples of compassion, Jesus enters into the, the fullness of the, of the pain and hurt of humanity and allows himself to be arrested allows himself to be put on, uh, on a trial that is it's an illegal trial, it's a, it's a fraud. He allows himself to be beaten mercilessly. Then he, he continues to allow himself out of compassion to be put on a cross and nails to be driven into his hands and his feet. Out of compassion, he steps into the gap for us because he saw a humanity that was without the, without the ability to save itself. The same life of compassion that Jesus calls, that call, he, he lives out, he calls his followers to live out. He says, See, seeing others that are hurting and in pain and being moved by compassion. This is Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 35. Jesus says to those following him, he says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then you reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate do not judge others and you will not be judged do not condemn others or you will it will all come back against you forgive others and you will be forgiven be compassionate as your father is compassionate Paul writes this in Philippians. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. John writes in 1 John Chapter 3, verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Compassion is the first word that God uses 
to describe himself. It's, it's given to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So when we're in pain, when we see others suffering, we can be certain that God is deeply moved. And he will respond and that he's there to meet us with his overwhelming, never-ending compassion. David prays this way. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. David calls out in this moment. It says, God, I, I can't fix it myself. I, I, I look at all the situation and I, I need you. So in your compassion, show me compassion and heal me. I, I, I want to I invite you this morning to, to respond to that compassion of God. That this morning you can respond by turning to him and, re- and receive his compassion. It's already been poured out for us. I want to pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of saying, God, I, I, I need your compassion. I'm like David, I want to be vulnerable and realize I need your compassion. I can't do this on my own. So would you join me in this prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed? Jesus, we turn to you, realizing that you are a God of compassion. That in Jesus, we see the glory of that compassion as it's played out for us in the greatest expression of compassion possible as he went to that cross and died for my sins. So I give you my life, and I'm going to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.